Brett, are we wired? Good, good deal. So what um, Andrew told you about taking him and Tim and others overseas, there's a lot of pastors that tell me it's my fault. Because here's what happens. If you just give me 10 days to take any of you and spend time watching missionaries do what they do in the place that they do it, the Spirit of God's going to change your heart can't be with our international workers in the context that they are in and hear the stories that you hear and not come back a skeptic because that's where God is working even though he's also working here. So here's my challenge to you. You're starting this week a series about a new way to walk with Jesus, a different way, an instead of way. What are you going to do about it? You see, we all have this presupposition that um, everything's cool, it all works. And we rarely take the time to stop and ask the really difficult questions. This morning I'd like to challenge you with two questions that come from this story. I needed you to see me take that drink because we're going to come to it later. So you saw Jesus feeding the 5,000. And every miracle in the Gospel of John is associated with something that happened in the Old Testament, either with Moses and Elijah. Now you're going to say, why Moses and Elijah? They were the two principal prophets of Israel. At least in this period of time when this story took place. When the people talked about the good old days of Israel, it was about Moses and Elijah, or both. And so when they want to talk about the good old days when God actually was doing something, they told stories about Moses and Elijah. And you see, here in this miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000, you're going to see him reflecting back on something that took place in the Old Testament back when the people of Israel left Egypt, they got into the desert, and all of a sudden they were without any food. And they pled with Moses, actually they complained to Moses, but we'll just say pled with him. And so Moses prayed and asked God what to do about it, and he sent manna. Some of you have heard about manna. Manna was kind of a bread sort of a thing that they picked up off the ground or off the desert floor every morning, and they were fed with manna for 40 years. And they would talk about this as the good old days, when God provided and it just seemed like it never quit. And then there's another miracle that we didn't see, but it happens right after this one, where Jesus goes up to the mountain. He goes up the mountain to get away because they want to make him a king by force. So he just left the crowd. The disciples saw that Jesus wasn't there anymore, so they go get in their boat, and it's already nighttime. They want to cross the lake of, of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and it's about a three-and-a-half to five-mile trek across the lake in their fishing boat to get to Capernaum where they wanted to spend the night, except something that often happens in the Sea of Galilee, a storm came up. 
and it nearly destroyed them. They were sure that they were going to drown. They were sure that their boat was going to be wrecked. And while they're all worried about trying to guide this thing in a kind of a northward direction to get to Capernaum, there's this ghost walking on the water. At least that's what it first looks like. And as the ghost gets closer, they realize, oh, that's Jesus. And it's real interesting. The text says, and when Jesus came close, they let him in the boat. I think, you mean you gave him permission to get in your boat? Really? But they let him in the boat. And instantly, the waves stopped. And in a very short time, they finished out that last mile and a half to two miles on the water. Now there's a whole new thought that goes through the minds of the disciples. You know, Moses held his shepherd's staff over the Red Sea and the waves were separated and the people walked across and he did it again and the waves came together. That was pretty powerful. But this guy didn't even go and ask God permission. He did it. And not only did he do something pretty spectacular, Moses never walked on the water. This guy walked on the water. And he didn't say anything. He just got in the boat and everything stopped. It was calm. Think maybe this guy is greater than Moses. So these are the two primary events that take place. There are two questions that Jesus answers in the teaching that's subsequent to these two miracles. And these are two questions that are very, very important to us. Now, the questions aren't directly asked, but Jesus asks them. Because that's his teaching style. The one question is the first one. Why do you follow me? So now, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to take your Bible. We're going to go to John 6, and that's where we're going to stay this morning. And uh, if you have it on your telephone, it doesn't matter. And They're going to try to keep up with me back there on the PowerPoint, but this is where we're going to get the answer to these questions. Two questions that Jesus asks. First one, why do you follow me? Did you notice that in this story, Jesus tells us the wrong reasons for following him? Go to, chapter, go to 6, verse 2. And a great crowd of people came to him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Archaeologists tell us that about 60% of the population in Jesus' time were sick all the time. Don't forget, they didn't have United Health Care, they didn't have Red Cross, they didn't have Blue Cross Blue Shield to take their money, they didn't have any medical help. As a result, these people were sick a lot of the time. So who wouldn't go to a healer that when he prays over you or touches you or says something, you actually get healed? I mean, who wouldn't? So Jesus says, is that really why you're following me? So one wrong reason to follow Jesus is what you're going to get out of it. But now go to what happened after the miracle. We go to verse 14, and the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, and they began to say, surely this is a prophet who has come to the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
Another reason they wanted to follow him is because they were tired of being slaves to Rome. They were tired of paying taxes to Rome. They were tired of all the implications of this kind of servitude that really put them down. So just think, if this guy, if this guy could become king, then we would have it good. The wrong reason to follow Jesus is because of the power you're going to get out of it. Because of the status you're going to get out of it. He doesn't do that for you. And then there's another reason why you shouldn't follow Jesus. And this is verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. You can't be entitled and follow Jesus. In other words, the welfare plan doesn't work with Jesus. Why do you follow Jesus? If you can't follow Jesus for all the goodies you get out of it, why do you follow Jesus? See, this is the lesson he was trying to teach them. So there are several reasons I would give you, suggest you there's three reasons why we should follow Jesus. And the first one comes in verse 27, right after Jesus says, you follow me because of the loaves and the bread, or in your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You follow Jesus because he gives you eternal life. Now that doesn't crank anybody's buttons because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, especially to us who live in a society where everything's working and everything seems to go well. But here's the point that Jesus makes. Everything you're doing here is going to go, except one thing, and that's your relationship with me. That's the eternal life thing. Well, this was a little bit upsetting. So verse 28, they asked him, Why, what must we do to do the works that God requires? In real simple terms, what do we do to get God's approval? How can we know that God likes us? Answer, verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, does that make any sense? They ask him, what do we do? And he said, believe me. That doesn't make any sense. But that's how we get God's approval. You see, God's approval doesn't come from the things we do. It comes from the things we think. It comes from the one in whom we believe. And so this raised a little bit of trouble because, you know, he made it really simple. All you have to do is believe. You've heard that statement. But now look. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Well, now, now, now stop, you guys. Let's be logical. What did he just do? Have you seen anybody else turn five loaves and three, two fishes into what he did? Isn't that a miracle? Here's a key to understanding the Gospel of John. 
Anytime Jesus says something that pushes the buttons of the religious leaders, it doesn't matter that he just did a miracle. They're going to ask him, do a miracle. And when you see that, well, won't you do a miracle to prove it to us? It's a clue to you that something's going wrong. And something's going wrong here. Because they're understanding Jesus is saying something that they don't want to accept. So isn't it interesting when we don't want to accept what Jesus is trying to say to us, we find some other excuse to ask questions about? So Jesus answers them. Further, look at, look at what they said. What miraculous sign will you show us? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. So you see, right away they're catching on to what Jesus is saying. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see, when Jesus was saying, I am eternal life, I am the way, you follow me, he was saying, that bread that Moses gave your ancestors in the wilderness, that was me. And now they know, he is saying, I am God. And now the trouble begins to really get stiff. Move ahead. Verse 35. I am the bread of life. Do you understand what he's saying? Moses gave you manna. That's how they were thinking anyway. I am that bread. If you want to come to me, eat the bread that I'll give you, and you'll never be hungry again. That's the essence of what he says. So here's the point. I'm God. Now that is, is pretty difficult. Because if anybody in this room were to tell us, I'm God, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis put it this way. When anyone stands up and says he is God, he's either as intelligent as a poached egg, or he can prove it. What did Jesus do? He proved it. So now you have to accept it, you see. Why do we follow Jesus? There's one other thing I'd like you to see about why it's important to follow Jesus. After he talked about the fact that he's the bread of life, and now they understood him clearly meaning that he is God, 41, at this the Jews began to grumble about him, and he, because he said, I am the bread of life from heaven. And they say, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? See the problem? In their heads, he's a person. And Jesus said he was God. And we know his mother. How can he now say, I'm the bread of life? Like, I came down from heaven. They don't want to accept that Jesus is the Son of God. He's telling us why we're supposed to believe in him. I am the Son of God. So then he says, stop grumbling. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Another reason why we need to follow Jesus because when we start fighting this battle about belief, he's drawing us to himself. Jesus, God, is drawing you to himself. Now, it's time to respond. You see, only God can do that. And only God will do that. And some of the songs we just sang this morning, you, sh you sang those very words about how he is there and how we're to draw close to him. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to follow me because of the goodies. You're going to follow me because I am God. That's the only 
reason you need. Are you with me still? Because you see, that reason doesn't make sense to a lot of us. Why follow somebody just because he says he's God? Well, why are you following Jesus? Really, why are you? A friend of mine, when he got out of college, married the right girl. They'd gone to Bible school, they were good Christians, they were involved in the local church, and then she got mental illness, true mental illness, not the demonic kind, true mental illness. Everything he tried to do to save the marriage went. And then everything fell apart. And, and he, his biggest struggle was blaming God. Why couldn't you save this? Why couldn't you keep this? Why couldn't you heal? So, is it good to follow God because he's going to fix everything that's going wrong in our lives? Is that why we follow Jesus? Or maybe it feels good. Whatever it is, it feels good. So, singing the songs about Jesus and being together with other Christians, it makes you feel good. So that's a good reason. Except that too will come to an end. You see, why are we following Jesus? It's a good program. It's a great program. I can take you to some churches in this region where I tell you the programming and the lights and all the business blows your mind out. It's a wonderful experience. I only have one question. What happens when the electricity goes out? You see, who are we following? And why are we following him? Jesus tells us, the only reason you need to follow me is because I am God. That's it. That's the only reason you need. There's no one else that's claimed that and no one else that's done that. Follow me because I am God. Go to verse 68 at the end because one of the things that happens as a result of this discussion is a lot of the disciples leave him. And Jesus says, so are you going to leave me too? And here's Peter's answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So why were the disciples deciding at this point in time to follow Jesus? You are the Holy One of God. In real short terms, we don't have a choice. Who else should we follow? Who else is God? We're going to follow you because you're God. A couple years ago, I met with a guy by the name of Pastor Tim. That's what I'm going to call him anyway. He, he's a Christian man who's a pastor, an evangelist in the country of Tibet. Until about 20 years ago, it was illegal to even claim to be a Christian in Tibet. If you claim to be a Christian at that point in time, you, you just might as well say goodbye because you'd be killed. Tim became a follower of Jesus and started to talk about it. And then there was a political kind of a revolution and the country changed from a, from a monarchy to a constitutional monarchy, which basically meant there's freedom of religion so long as you're a Buddhist. You can be a Christian, but you can't talk about it except to Christians. 
In that period of time, in that 15-year period of time, Tim planted 50 churches in the country of Tibet. Now, mind you, it's not churches like this one. This is, this is a megachurch in Tibet terms. But he established 50 churches. He also spent almost four months in jail. Do you know how he spent four months in jail? He was arrested in a meeting like this, talking to Christians about Jesus. And even though the Constitution says you can only talk to Christians, he was talking to Christians about Jesus, and he was arrested and spent four months in jail. Do you know he never regrets it? Because, you see, he's not following Jesus for the perks. He's following Jesus because Jesus is God. You see, if we follow Jesus for any other reason, we're not going to make it. When the tough things in life come along and everything seems to fall apart, we have nothing else to go to. So the question comes to us, why are you following Jesus? The other question that Jesus is going to answer is, what difference does it make in your life? What's changed now that you're following Jesus? And he answers the question for us. Go back to uh, verse 30 of 45, where he gets after him for grumbling. And he says, it's written in the prophets... They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Here's something that's going to happen to you if you've chosen to follow Jesus because he's God. You're going to start listening and learning from him, from God. Not from other sources. They will listen and learn from him who comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one whom, who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Here's Jesus' promise to you. It's going to change your life because now you're going to see God. Now you're going to understand who he really is. You're going to start listening and learning from him. So that's one of the major changes that happens so this is why sometimes I like to ask people who say they want to go overseas and they want to be cross-cultural workers. In our old language, they want to be missionaries. I like to ask them the question, so this morning, what did Jesus tell you when you talked to him? Well, what did he? Think about it. If I asked you that question, what would you say? You see, the Bible tells us that one of the things that changes when we become followers of Jesus is we start meditating on his word. We start spending time understanding him and hearing from him. In a sense, it's kind of what you're going to be doing in your small groups. Spending time to learn from him. Why is that so important? Well, the Bible tells us that I will hide his word in my heart so that I don't sin against him. You see, not sinning against God doesn't happen because of brute determination. Sin is an inside problem that has outside manifestations. And if I'm going to deal with the outside evidence of sin in my life, I've got to deal with the inside stuff that causes it. See, and that's why Jesus made this statement to the Pharisees who had a really hard time with his teaching. 
He says, it's not what comes out of your mouth that's the problem. It's what comes from your heart. So that's why your pastors emphasize this whole issue of what's going on in your soul. Because until we deal with the soul and what the soul is listening to and learning from, the rest of the stuff can't be taken care of. So what's going to change? You're going to change what you're listening to and where it comes. Another thing that's going to change, and this one is perhaps the most difficult statement of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Wow. That's complicated. So, one of the reasons why that's complicated for many of us in American culture is because if we grew up in a Catholic or High Lutheran or a Presbyterian or Anglican history, that's our religious background, we were probably told that Jesus is talking here about the communion or the Eucharist. And if you take the Eucharist, then you've got the grace necessary to make it. Here's a problem. If that is what Jesus was talking about, he doesn't establish the Eucharist or the communion for at least another two years after this event. So he hasn't even taught it yet. Let me explain to you why or what this means. Remember Perhaps you'll remember when Jesus talked to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, if you drink the water that I give you, you'll never thirst. In the Gospel of John, drinking and eating is used as a metaphor to teach us what it means to believe. So allow me again, take a drink of water. What's going to happen to that water? I just yielded myself and submitted myself totally to whatever that water is going to do in my body. So, Andrew, I hope you didn't put poison in here. <laughs> you see what I mean? That was an act of submission. And what happens when you eat? You're doing exactly the same thing. And what happens when you don't drink water anymore and don't drink food anymore. You shrivel up and die. Don't you? So there's something about water and food that we need all the time. And Jesus is saying, you need to be yielded to me, totally submitted to me all the time. This is a non-stop affair, folks. And it needs to take place all the time. That's why he uses this as an illustration. And to make it even more difficult, he talks about my body and my blood. Talking about how we are supposed to fully embrace Jesus and submit to him all of the time. And then you notice what, what it says, what Jesus says here in verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. You need to catch that word, remain. 
In your older Bibles, it's the word abide. In John 15, so now we're going ahead about nine chapters, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And he says, if you abide in me, and I in you, and my word's in you, you will ask whatever you need, and I'll give it to you. He's talking about the fact that Jesus needs to become the source of everything I am. And then he takes his place in my life, I take my place in his life, and guess what? Everything changes. So when I'm living for Jesus, well, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians, so you're going to bump into it at some time in the future. He urges us to live a life that is worthy of the calling to which he has called us. Well, what is the life to which he calls us in Ephesians? Walking with Jesus. He says, before you lived in darkness, you were children of wrath. Now you're children of hope and children of light. What's a child of wrath? Well, now that's another old English word that we don't use anymore because we've dumbed it down. We don't like it. But think in, think in increments, or from, from not so bad to really bad. Down here, you've got frustration. You've got disappointment down here. And then, it, then, then you've got anger. And then you've got wrath. And when wrath comes, get out of the way. And Jesus said, you once were children of wrath. You deserved the wrath of God. But then... You came to Christ. And by his blood we have been forgiven and made right, and now we are children of light. You see what happens? Everything has changed. So let me ask you a couple questions. The apostle tells us that uh, you're not to have any unwholesome conversation. That's what he says. That's in Ephesians. No unwholesome conversation. How's it do How are you doing? He tells us that we are not to have any kind of words or jokes that are coarse and improper. That's in Ephesians. So how are we doing? He tells us that we're not to follow after what he calls the lust of the flesh. How are you doing? He tells us that you work for your master, but don't work to please your master, work to please God. Because he says, you're not master pleasers, you're God pleasers. So how's your work going? Does your boss know that you're a follower of Jesus? Just by the quality of work, everything changes. I met a fellow in uh, the Middle East who came to Christ, but because of persecution, he decided not to talk about it with his wife. He figured if he talked about it with his wife, it would just amp up the conflict in the house. And so he just left it that way. The problem is, receiving Christ and giving himself to Christ so changed him that he changed in the way he treated his wife. And after about six or eight months, she said, what's with you? You're not the guy I married. And I like you better now. So he had to tell her. She became a Christian too. You see, even our marriage relationship changes because we're following Jesus. 
even our relationship with our children changes. Again, the book of Ephesians. Don't frustrate your children. So how are we doing? Even our marriage relationship is such that he says you're supposed to submit to one another, you're supposed to respect each other, you're supposed to love each other. How are we doing? Everything changes because I'm a follower of Jesus. Nothing is left out. So, two questions. Why do you follow him? He's God. And he's the only one that can bring about the change. And what's changed? Everything. That's why the Apostle Peter says, we have no place else to go. Lord, whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, we don't have a choice. We follow you. Fatima was going to the university when she met a Christian young lady who was also at the university. This is the first Christian Fatima had ever met. Now, Fatima grew up in a Muslim home and had been taught all the things that Muslims are taught, Muslims are taught about Jesus. But this was different. And before the end of the semester, Fatima made a choice to follow Jesus. She got involved in a Bible study and started to learn what it's like to follow him. And she came to the point during that next year where she realized she had to go home and tell her dad. Now, in a country where honor killing is allowed, this is a very dangerous thing for this young girl to do. Because in that culture, until she's married, she's under the authority of her dad. With her friends, they prayed about it, and God actually gave her peace to go home the next vacation and tell her dad. So she did. She didn't say anything about it for two weeks. She helped around the house. She did what she could to be useful. And whenever the imam called for prayers, she took her Bible and went under the tree shade, shady tree, and read her Bible and prayed. And every time our little Alliance Church in that city was open, she was there. So her dad was saying, I don't get it. You're different. So tell me what's going on. So she had to break the news that she'd become a follower of Jesus. And when she explained briefly what that meant, she stopped and now waited for the response. And he said this, I used to think that the reason why young girls in our culture leave our religion and become followers of Jesus is so they can become a prostitute to the white man religion, to the white man missionary. But I realized that's not true. Your life has totally changed. You're a better girl now than you were when you went to university. I like it, and I approve. She was safe. But do you see what happened? Everything changed. Everything changed. So I conclude with one more illustration. All my illustrations come from overseas because that's my worldview. Sorry. You've got a lot of good illustrations in here. And you tell them, I'm just telling you a few you haven't heard of. A close friend of mine named Guyen was a teenager in Vietnam when the communists from the north took over the south. So this is before most of your time, except for Ali there and 
couple of you. At any rate, he had become a follower of Jesus when he was about 17 or 18, 19, something like that. Because he was a follower of Jesus, he was put in re-education camps. See, this is how communists do things. They want to make sure everybody thinks like they do, so they put you in re-education camps. The goal of the re-education camp was so that Guyen would become a communist. But he'd made a commitment to follow Jesus. He was persecuted. He was nearly killed. Somehow he got out. And by a series of miracles, he was able to emigrate to France. So as a pastor in France, he was a part of this national committee that I was on of other French pastors. And one night the French pastors were complaining about the salaries they weren't getting from their congregations. Like, you know, it's, it's the congregation's fault that they don't support us adequately. And Guyen listened to this conversation for about 20 minutes and finally had enough. He said, guys, I simply don't understand. I don't understand what you're talking about. I can show you the scars on my back of the price that I've paid to follow Jesus. And he said, I want you to know something. He has never left me down. He has never forsaken me. He has always provided for me. I have never had to worry about his faithfulness. He has always been faithful. So I don't understand your problem. That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> but you see... We must choose to follow Jesus because of who he is. That's why we follow him. I'm going to pray, but first of all, I just want to make sure you understand that this morning, if you sense in your own heart that there are some things that you need to make right, I believe you have prayer teams that are available to pray with you. Don't pass up the opportunity. This may be the day he is saying to you, it's time to change the reason why you follow me. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we ask forgiveness. We ask forgiveness because of the flimsy reasons why we think we're Christians. Would you burn it into our soul this morning, Lord, that you are the only reason we should follow you. In Jesus' name.